five years old, my parents came and sat me down and shared some difficult news. They said that a family member that we deeply, deeply loved and cared for wasn't doing well. And in fact, they had a, a sickness that was sure to end um, in death if there wasn't a miracle from God. And they said, we need to be praying for a miracle. And so over the next uh, five, six, seven months, we began to pray together as a family and we began to ask God for a miracle. And I remember, even as a five-year-old, having faith that God was the God of the impossible and having faith that God could do anything. And we would pray bold prayers, but there came a day where my parents came to me and told me that God didn't answer our prayers the way that we wanted and that that family member had passed away. And even as a five-year-old, I, I learned something then that all of us know if we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. That there is this paradox that on the one hand, we believe God can do anything, right? And we believe God does miraculous work all of the time and he's always working and doing miracles. And so that's on the one hand, but then on the other hand, there's this reality that there are some times when we pray and when we believe and when we ask God to work and our prayers don't get answered, at least the way that we want. And so the title of my message today is When God Doesn't Answer Our Prayers, When Our Prayers Don't Get Answered, When Our Prayers Don't Get Answered. And I believe that there are people all over this sanctuary as well as online watching that you're praying a prayer right now and you're asking God to answer it and so far he hasn't. You're sitting in an unanswered prayer. I believe that there are maybe even people here that you have actually stopped praying and you're not even willing to open up your heart to praying bold prayers anymore because, because you're discouraged and because you've said, you know what? I tried that before, I put my heart out there, and I just felt crushed, and so I don't even want to pray big prayers. And so I believe this message is going to be encouraging for us as we learn a story from Scripture about a prayer that doesn't get answered in the way that the people who prayed it wanted. So if you will, look with me, John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and this is what we're going to read. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So let's set a foundation so that we can kind of understand what it is that God wants to speak to our hearts. First off, we're introduced to these three characters that are new to the Gospel of John, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
Now, they are friends of Jesus, and they're siblings, two sisters and a brother. They live in a town called Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. In just a minute, I'm going to put up a map and show you where that is. And these siblings, they have a problem. Their brother Lazarus is getting very sick to the point of death, and they reach out to Jesus and give him a request. Now, here is one thing that is noted. We learn that Jesus deeply loves this family. In fact, twice we see it. The first time, it says that that Mary and Martha, they, they reach out to Jesus and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then we also read that Jesus loves this family. But I think it's interesting that even though he loves them, he, he acts kind of interesting and acts weird with that love. Look with me at verse five for a minute. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. It's kind of a strange sentence. It's kind of like me saying, I love my two sons so much, so when I hear them crying out in pain, I keep watching TV. It doesn't make sense. But what we see here is that Jesus isn't answering a request in the way that they want it. When I was growing up, my family, we were missionaries, and we spent five years in Africa in a country called Togo. And as we were preparing to go there, the missions organization that sent us, they started to prepare us for the journey. And one of the things that they said was, living in Togo is, is different than living where you're going in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he said, you got to prepare yourself because it's going to look different. They said, first off, it's extremely hot there. The heat is, is very intense. There are very intense rainy seasons that happen and they hit with a lot of force. We understand that a little bit living in Florida, right? He, he said that there are, they said, look, there are dangerous critters and you got to watch out for these dangerous critters. Some of them are even deadly. And so they explained there's all of these elements that you're not used to. But then they explained, you can't do anything to change the elements. However, there are some things that you can do to prepare yourself. They said, get a mosquito net and sleep under a mosquito net. They said, make sure to stay hydrated. Take these specific medications to fight off malaria. Make sure that when it's extremely hot, you stay under the shade. They gave us all of these tools. They said, you can't change the circumstances, but you can have tools to endure the circumstances. Now, when it comes to unanswered prayer, really when it comes to any suffering in our lives, in a lot of ways, we are out of control. We can't change anything in our power, and we know that God can change and sometimes does, but what I believe that we're going to discover today through this story is that God is going to give us five tools that equip us to endure suffering, that equip us to endure when our prayers don't get answered. And the first two are found in this chunk that we just read. The first one is this, you can write it down, that God's glory is more important than our convenience. God's glory is more important than our convenience. I think it's fascinating that Jesus, he does deeply care for the situation that we're learning about. And later on in the passage, he will do something to specifically meet the felt needs that they have. But the first reaction that Jesus has 
is actually not about the circumstance, but he says this whole situation is about the glory of God. He says this entire thing is so that God will get glory and so that God's son will get glory. Can I tell you that God's top priority is not our comfort? Now, I'll be honest, I wish it was. I wish that was the message today. Like, just, just purely, I wish it was like, I'm up here telling you every want that you have, every need that you have, God's top priority is getting it done. Who wishes that was the message today? You guys feel me? Be awesome. That's not God's top priority. He loves us. He cares for us. He loves us so much he died for us. But his top priority is his own glory. That is what he is moving history and what he is moving the, 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 the course of the universe towards. It says in Habakkuk chapter two, verse 14, this is a prophecy about what will happen when Jesus returns and when he establishes his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. It says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. That is God's mission. His own glory and the fact that every single speck of creation will be covered with his glory. Now, now I use this, this illustration a couple of times, um, and I, I can't remember if I used it in this service or what service I used it in. And so if, I, if this is a repeat for you, I apologize. I used it last time I spoke. But imagine this screen is the glory of God. Imagine this screen is his knowledge and, and his perspective and what he knows about life what he knows about every single bit of creation. Now look and pick out any speck on the screen, any little dot. That dot is representative of all of us combined what we know. It's representative of our part that we play, of, of our wisdom and our perspective. And thinking about that helps me when I'm in the middle of suffering. It helps me when God isn't answering the prayer and the timing that I'm wanting. Because it helps me remember that just like with my son who's two months old, I know so much more how to take care of him than he knows. And in that same way, God's perspective is so much greater than ours. And so often for us, I think we get so frustrated with God when it's not working out the way that we want. But we got to remember that the ultimate goal is God's glory. And can I tell you this? The fact, if you build your life on the glory of God, it's actually going to make you a more joyful and a more peaceful person. Let me tell you why. Because if your joy and happiness are connected to your circumstances, then it's gonna go up and down. Well, when your circumstances change, your joy will plummet. When things go wrong, your peace is lost. But if your joy and your happiness are connected to something bigger than you, if they're connected to the glory of God, then your joy and your peace are connected to something that's unshakable. And we gotta remember that because some of us our, our, our God, we say it's God, but our God is actually our comfort. Our God is actually that everything in life would go a certain way. And some of us maybe are even holding off 
from truly serving God until God answers that prayer request. Man, God, I'm not going to serve you yet. I'm not going to truly believe in you yet until you show yourself to me. Well, let me tell you, if that's the case, then your God is not God. Your God is a circumstance. May we make God our Lord and may we say, God, you are what I long for. Your glory is my desire. So we got to remember that God's glory is the greatest thing. Now, let, let me say this, because I know that there are people all over this room that are going through really, really challenging circumstances. And so I don't say this lightly or callously. Over the past few months, I, I've done funerals for two men that I love so much. One of my best friends, even this week, had a, had a death in their family. And so I understand that people are walking through really difficult things. And when I'm ministering to, to someone who, who's hurting, uh, this is not the first thing I tell them. You guys tracking with me? Like the first thing is like, don't, don't even worry about it. It's all about God's glory. Now, that's the wrong time to say that. But we have to understand that the greatest reality in the universe is that God is moving towards his own glory. But we also have to understand, and this is the second tool, you can write this down, that our timing does not negate Jesus' love. What a fascinating truth that we learned in this text. That Jesus loved these women and Lazarus so much, and yet he delayed beyond their timing. And I think it's so easy for us when we're in the waiting to think God doesn't love me. And this scripture is a reminder to all of us that even though the prayer may not be answered, even though the disease may still be real, even though that kid that we are praying for that is a prodigal hasn't come home yet, God's timing is not our timing and his love still is real. Maybe that's even why God brought you to church this morning, just to remind you that he loves you so much, even if the circumstances aren't lined up the way that you would design it. His love is not proven by circumstances. His love is proven by the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, brought us into new life with him. And we base our hope on that, not on our circumstances. Let's keep reading. Look with me at verse seven. So Jesus stayed where he was more than two days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So let's understand a little bit more about this story and the context of it. So in chapter 10, Jesus had to leave Jerusalem because the tension and the pressure that was on him was mounting. And so he actually went to the place where John baptized him. Now I'm going to put this up on the screen for you and check this out. Over there on the right-hand side is the baptismal site of Jesus. That's on the Jordan River. Now, all the way across the desert, up a giant mountain, is Jerusalem there on the left, and then Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, just two miles to the right. 
And so it's about a day journey towards the baptismal site of Jesus, a day journey back, and then we're learning that Jesus delayed for two days. Now, a quick uh, sidebar, because I want to explain something to you that I think will help you as you read the Gospels. The Gospels are the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Jesus did the majority of his ministry in the Gospels in two places. North is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and it's farmland, it's fishing villages, tiny towns. And about 60% of the Gospels take place there. South is Judea, and then more specifically, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, kind of the opposite of Galilee. Jerusalem is a big city. It's the political uh, hub or a political hub of Rome. It's the epicenter of Judaism. And so there's a lot of religious leaders that are there. All of the Jews come to Jerusalem uh, three times a year. And so it is a very, uh, it's a very intense place. And here's what I want you to know. This is the big idea. As you're reading your Bible, as you're reading through the Gospels, Whenever Jesus gets to Judea, whenever Jesus gets to Jerusalem, pressure increases. Political pressure, religious pressure, because there are more powerful eyeballs on him. You guys get what I'm saying? And so like this would be like, this is how I would illustrate it. Let's say you wanted to throw a protest. And you were like, you know what? I'm mad. I want everybody to know I'm mad. And so you decide we're throwing a protest in the swamplands outside of 192. Your protest, I'm sorry to say, probably not going to be super successful. You may get some gators to check it out. You may see a guy on an airboat. That's probably about it. If you decide to throw your protest and say, I'm going to gather thousands of people and protest in front of the White House, you're probably going to get a lot more people looking at your protest just because geographically it's a much more important destination with all due respect to the swamp outside of 192. And so this is the idea that whenever Jesus gets closer to Jerusalem and also as he gets closer to the end of his life, tension is mounting because all of these religious leaders want to stop what he's doing. And by the way, the rest of John is going to be happening around Jerusalem very close to the end of his life. Hopefully that's helpful for you as you read. Let's keep going. Look with me at verse 11. After Jesus had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So his disciples are a little confused, and they're like, Jesus, like, let's not go risk our lives just to wake up Lazarus, okay? Like, we, he can do that on his own, and Jesus has to explain to them. Look at verse 14. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, this is cool. Notice this, verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, if you're familiar with scripture, you know that Thomas is famous for one thing. What is Thomas known for? Doubt it. This is actually cool because Thomas does something very brave here. The threat is that 
Jesus is going to go and perhaps they're all going to get arrested and killed. And Thomas says, Jesus, if you're going, let's all go with you no matter what the cost. And so we give Thomas a hard time for doubting sometimes. Let's also give him credit for saying something maybe a little bit confused, but also somewhat brave. Now I want you to notice though, verse 15. Jesus, he explains something and he says, I'm glad this is all happening. And one of the reasons is that you may believe. In other words, this circumstance is going to help you believe in me as disciples. Now, I read that and I thought it was interesting because the disciples already believe, right? Like they wouldn't be disciples if they, if they didn't believe. And so what I was thinking about, and actually the Gospel of John already has said multiple times that they do believe. Look with me on the screen. John chapter 1, verse 50, Jesus speaking to Nathanael, who's one of the disciples, and he says, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. So he's affirming, Nathanael, you believe in me. John chapter 2, verse, verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, this is early on in his ministry, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples, what? Believed in him. So, John 2.22, another moment where the disciples believed. So what's interesting is that, that what we see in this is that as disciples, there is an initial belief in Jesus that happens, but that belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus is actually a muscle that grows. And that as you follow Jesus, you're actually gaining more and more trust and belief in him. You can write this down. This is the third tool that's going to help us with an unanswered prayer. The more we follow, the more we trust. The more we follow, the more we trust. I think about this with my own life. I've had these moments. It doesn't happen as often as I would like, but they're aha moments of the faith. Perhaps you have experienced some too. You're praying. And you're asking God to do something. And for a long time, God doesn't do it. I've had this happen with jobs. I've had this happen with my calling as a pastor. Even me and Katie for a long time prayed about our marriage before it happened. And then the aha moment happens when God actually answers the prayer. And when God says, yes, here is the answer you were hoping for. And so often when that does happen, I have this moment of clarity to understand I see everything that God was doing leading up to this moment. And I understand why it had to happen the way it happened. Have you guys experienced this before? Has anyone experienced this? And man, it is such an encouraging thing. And here's my encouragement to you, especially if you're newer in the faith, that the longer you walk with Jesus, after you've had one or two or three aha moments, not that it's not as painful to suffer and to trust Jesus, but there are moments where you say, okay, when something happens, when there is uncertainty, you remember your history with God. And you remember saying, yeah, I actually get it. I I've seen God come through in the past before, so I'm confident he's gonna come through now. The more we follow, the more we trust. And let's keep on going as we uh, continue this story. 
Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, by the way, we're not going to be able to get through this entire story today. Just like Mary and Martha had to wait to see what Jesus did, you will have to wait as well. And you're not allowed to read ahead. Don't do it. I'm just kidding. You're allowed to read ahead. You, you get, I'm never going to tell you not to read your Bible. But we'll have to see what happens next week. It's interesting, though, that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Why is that? Well, we don't exactly know, but I think uh, this could be the answer. A lot of scholars speculate about this. Look on the screen. There was a Jewish belief, Leon Morris says, that the soul stays near the grave for three days, hoping to be able to return to the body. But on the fourth day, it sees decomposition setting in and leaves it finally. So the Jew, Jews, at around that time at least, believed the soul is hanging out. Is it really dead or is it just mostly dead? Maybe seeing what happens. And then finally, at day four, they're like, you know what? There's no hope. Let's, let's go ahead and move on. And, and so possibly it is that Jesus... He waited until day four in order to truly prove the only way that he can come back to life is divine. It's not, oh, he was just mostly dead and he woke up or, or we did some CPR on him and brought him back. No, there's no hope except for an act of God. And so possibly that is why Jesus did this. Now let's keep going. Verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So in other words, Martha is almost saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like, I'm going to see him again when I die. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is saying to Martha, if you believe in me, in this circumstance, in this situation, anything is possible. Now I want to talk about resurrection for a minute. And I want to share about three resurrection realities. Now, it may seem like a little bit of a tangent, but I want you to stay with me. Because understanding the resurrection is going to help us as we think about unanswered prayers. And I'll show you why in just a moment. Three resurrection realities. When scripture talks about resurrection, it's one of these three things. First off, it could be talking about Jesus' resurrection. Now, we know that the greatest event in human history, we celebrate it every Easter, Jesus died, and then three days later, he, he rose again. Yeah. And so this is the foundation of our faith, and it also gives us great hope for our future. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And by the way, if you want to learn about the resurrection, Paul talks about it a lot in this chapter. He says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. As in Adam, all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. What Paul is saying here is that the fact that God rose Jesus from the dead is proof to us that as Christians, God will raise us from the dead on the last day. It's proof to us that our loved ones will not stay dead who are in Christ, but they will rise, and that we too, if Jesus comes back, or if we die, have life after death. Paul is saying it's almost like the death of Jesus was the down payment. We can be confident because of the resurrection of Jesus that we too will rise. Now, let's learn about the second type of resurrection, resurrection power in us. Resurrection power in us. What we learn is that throughout the New Testament, the the New Testament writers affirm that every single Christian, God gives them the Holy Spirit. And maybe it's easy to think, oh, the Holy Spirit, like how important is that really? Let me tell you how important it is. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about that. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit that lives in you. So if you think, I don't have the power to be a Christian. Like, I don't have the power to do what God wants me to do. I don't have the power to share my faith. Well, on our own, we don't. But you have the same spirit that has the power to raise someone from the dead living in you. You have the Holy Spirit, and he is powerful enough to do anything. And so when it comes to drawing near to God, when it comes to God changing us from the inside out to make us look more like Christ, when it comes to us going out and being witnesses, we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. That's how powerful it is. And so we got to understand that, that there is actually right now in every Christian in this room, resurrection power in our veins because of the Holy Spirit. The third and final resurrection reality we're going to study is the final resurrection when Jesus returns. The idea here is that either on the last day when Jesus returns, when he establishes his kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, or when we die, that our bodies will be resurrected, our bodies will be transformed, and we will get new bodies. We move out of a temporary tent into a permanent home. And you ask, what will, the bo- what will be the difference? Well, the Apostle Paul says that our uh, heavenly bodies will be better, as much better as the sun is more powerful than the moon. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 15, once again. He says the sun has one kind of splendor and the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And so we have this incredible confidence and this incredible hope that as we live on this planet, our bodies do break down. Our bodies get hurt. We have pain. We have sickness. But when Jesus comes back, we will get new bodies that are completely restored and completely transformed, better than ever. Now, why is this important? Well, when it comes to unanswered prayer, 
I think that there's two extremes that we tend to go to. One extreme is the extreme of fear and discouragement. And maybe there's people in this room and that's where you're at. That that you've prayed and you've asked God to answer and he's not answering. And so maybe you still believe in Jesus. Maybe you still read your Bible. But if you're honest, where you're at is saying, you know what, Brian? I don't want to believe for big things anymore. I'm not really praying any major prayers right now. I'm just kind of hunkering down and waiting for Jesus to come back because I'm just discouraged. On the other side of the extreme is the extreme of anger. And maybe there's people in here that are frustrated and mad at God. Maybe you don't come out and say it because that would be maybe bad to say. But if you're honest, you're frustrated that God has not answered the prayer. That God hasn't brought forth the, the response that you're looking for. I even think looking out, we see so much anger and frustration and bitterness online. And I think a lot of the reason is that that if you have a worldview that says there is no heaven, then you are forced to make earth your heaven. And when you realize that earth can't be your heaven, you get angry and you get frustrated and you say, why can't we fix this? And so we have to understand that these are the two extremes. But that God calls us to have a perspective that is a kingdom perspective. And this is the perspective. Look with me on the screen at these two verses. First off, look at John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, if you die, you're still going to live in heaven. But even when you believe, you already have resurrection power living in you. And so what this means is that while we are breathing, while God has us here, anything is possible. That God can answer prayers. That God does want to move in power in our lives and in our community. That God wants to do great things through this church. That God wants to bring revival to this community. And we want to believe that and we want to pray for that. And we want to say, God, we believe that you are here, you are living, you are active. And so we're praying for miracles to happen. But then on the other hand, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, this is what we read. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are to be the most pitied. What does this mean? That we don't put our hope or our confidence in what happens in the here and now. That our happiness, our joy, our peace isn't about our circumstances. Because if it is, we of all people are to be the most pitied that we put our full hope and our full confidence in the security that God has for us in heaven. Two closing tools that we can add to our tool belt when it comes to unanswered prayer. The first one is this, expect resurrection power today. Expect resurrection power today. In other words, pray and believe for God to do something powerful in the here and now. Man, our family recently, we've been walking in God doing a powerful miracle. A few months ago, Katie's sister and her husband found out they were pregnant with their second baby. But they went to their 12-week checkup and found a lot of complications. And the doctor gave several different things and said, basically, this baby is guaranteed not to make it. They said there's pretty much no hope. But our family began to pray, and so many other people, especially in the Charlotte area, began to pray. And what we discovered was that every time they went back to the doctor, the doctors were shocked to find that healing was happening. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And every time the doctors are stunned. And, and so uh, my sister-in-law, she's 28 weeks pregnant now, and it really looks like the baby is going to make it. Amen. Yeah, amen. They, they found out that she's a girl. They, they've, they've named her Olive and short, Live for short. And, and what's beautiful about this is that our family, we are kind of in this waiting season. We're in this moment where we're believing for a miracle. It still hasn't fully happened yet, but we're seeing God move. And so we, as, as a church, we as the people of God want to pray with big faith. We want to believe and say, God, we believe that anything is possible. And we want to ask that you would pray, and we want to pray big prayers because God is a big God. But here's the last thing, and this is so important, that we hope in the resurrection on the last day. See, we don't put our confidence, we don't put our, our, all of our chips here in this life. But we say that God, our greatest hope, our greatest joy is that you will return, that you will be king, and that you will make all things new. That you will wipe away every tear. That there will be no more sickness, no more pain, and no more crying. And you will be king of all. That is our great hope. And when there's unanswered prayer, we, we believe God can do anything, but we hope in what he is going to do in the future. Now the last verse we're going to read is verse 27. Martha says this, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. See, the, the, what, what this all starts with is a relationship with Jesus. It starts with Jesus as King and Savior and Lord. And so we're going to pray and I'm going to invite every person who doesn't know Jesus to make a decision for Jesus right now. So let's pray. God, I do ask and pray. There are so many unanswered prayers that are represented here. And I just want to pray for us as a church. I pray for continued strength, for an increase in faith, for a perspective of your glory, for a revelation of your love, so that we can endure. God, I do pray that for some of the unanswered prayers in this room, that you would answer them soon and that we would encounter and see that you have the power to, to do anything. But God, I pray that you would give us, no matter what we walk through, endurance to walk with you. Now, if there is anyone in here that would say, Brian, I walked in here and I'm not a Christian. I was interested, I was curious, but now today, through the teaching of God's word, I've come to know who Jesus is. And I want to be saved. I want to have forgiveness for my sins. I want to have resurrection power. I want to have confidence that today I will live and when I die, I will live. If that's you, I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus. So you can pray a prayer in your heart just like this. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the truth and the life. I believe you are the resurrection. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising again to give us new life. Help me to follow you. Help me to serve you all the days of my life. Bring people around me that will help me in this journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.